Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. I guess we'll get straight to it because I know we have limited time and we're going to get a lot of questions, I'm sure. So I guess what's what's maybe one general tip that you have for us that, you know, maybe people aren't aren't doing that they need to be doing these days for their tennis game? Yeah, I would say number one is actually to film themselves hitting and playing, film themselves during lessons, film themselves and you don't need any fancy equipment, just a phone, and you can rest it against the back fence as you're hitting with a friend. When you film yourself and you watch and review your serve technique, your footwork, even your demeanor while you're playing, sometimes we don't even realize our negative body language that we're yeah. showing our opponents. But if we review the footage and we look at our, you know, are we changing your grip on our backhand? Are we keeping our tossing arm up long enough on our serve? Mirbon, I would say two years ago, I put up a story on Instagram with a question. And the question was, have you ever seen yourself on video playing tennis? Have you ever in a lesson been filmed, you know, uh, you know, while you're hitting serves and the coach is filming you and then reviewing the footage and showing you, you know, how you can improve getting rid of the waiter's tray and everything. And Less than half of the people responded with a yes. And wow. so maybe that's skewed. Maybe the people who, are, who say no are more inclined to push the button. I don't know. But it really should be everybody reviewing themselves. So again, you don't need any fancy equipment. You simply need to just take your phone on a tripod, rest it against the ground, up against your tennis bag, and film yourself hitting with a friend Film yourself shadow swinging. You know, we have, there's so many resources, Tennis Summit and the YouTube, and, and there's so many great resources out there. Why not take one piece of information, maybe in this, you know, uh, live stream that we're doing, take one piece of information, go out and just shadow swing it slowly, slowly, do it slowly. Uh, you'll learn faster if you process, and you'll process it faster if you actually shadow swing slowly and review it and see if what you're doing matches what you learn. So, you should have tons of videos in your camera roll on your phone of you playing matches, of you shadow swinging, of you hitting serves. And it actually creates a nice timeline because you can see the improvement mm -hmm. from months earlier or years earlier. So absolutely, first tip is you got to film yourself in order to improve. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Definitely. And, and do you have any like t- um, tips as far as, um, you know, maybe you've run into any trouble filming, run out of battery or, you know, maybe the technical side, like uh, slow-mo, fast, you know, or regular speed, um, frames per second, like any of that, does, you know, does that, any of that well, matter? I, what I would do actually, and that's a great question, Maravon, I would get some sports analysis apps. There are some great free apps that you can get that allow you to time your toss. All right. So here's, a to- here's one of the tips that is not <laughs> part of the six tips. Ooh. I'm a big fan of toss timing. You know, I do so much Zoom work and teaching people around the world live on Zoom using video footage that they send me that I actually kind of developed a toss timing. And there are apps that allow you to put a timer on the screen. Mm-hmm. And when you scroll through the video, it gives you the time. For instance, if you're tossing and you want to know if your toss is too high or too low, on the video footage, and you can get on form, you can get huddle. Uh, there are different, I use Coach's Eye, which is an older app, and I don't even think they make it anymore. But there's some easy, just go into the app store and look up sports analysis uh, apps. And on, with the timer, you just put the video in the app. And then when the ball is at the top of your head during your service motion, as you're tossing, at that moment, start a timer. Hmm. and scroll and see how long it takes until you contact the ball. And the time should be between 0.6 and 0.9 seconds. You can actually quantify a toss based on the time, not just the actual height. Uh, For instance, JJ Wolf's toss timing, he's pretty low, is lower in that spectrum. It's 0.65. You got Kyrgios, who's around 0.7 seconds. You got Federer and, and Djokovic, who are around 0.83, and Nadal, they're all in that same grouping. Sakari is 0.79. And even Sampras, people think of Sampras maybe having like a higher toss, but he was just outside that range, 0.93. And this is, again, just something that you can check with your, uh, with your sports analysis app. So just go, in, go onto the app store for your phone and just look up sports analysis apps. And there are great paid ones. There are great free ones. And just check to see if there's one where you can check the timer. And, and, um, and again, you can check your split step timing to see if it's mm-hmm. coinciding with your brain and how fast you process, which is around 0.2 seconds. So you actually want to land your split step 0.2 seconds after your opponent hits so that you're landing as your brain is reacting to the visual of the ball coming off the strings so that when you land, you're pressing against the ground and you're so much faster uh, in your first step. That's, a, that's, a, that's another tip. Um, don't land as the opponent hits. You actually want to be in the air as the opponent hits so that you're landing when your brain processes the info of where Mm. it's going and you actually will have a faster first step in the direction you need to go. But filming yourself without a doubt is, I think, the number one tip, which is why it's the first one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's just amazing how much you can find out, you know, from filming yourself. I mean, obviously... Uh, when we were down there in in, in Tampa, um, we found out that most of the students weren't, you know, either weren't sli- split stepping or they were split stepping way too late. Um, I've definitely found some technical errors, you know, in my, you know, my serve, for example, and and back end stuff like that, just from filming too. So definitely love that tip. Um, yeah, and let's see. So I guess, hey Jay, look, how are you? Good to see you again. So 
let's go to another tip and then hopefully we'll get some questions. And yeah, I, I mean, what maybe give us a tip that we can use where, you know, we we can kind of increase our margin for air, perhaps. Yeah. So, Mirban, to consistency, there are there are four places you can miss. Right. So let's say this is you. And you can miss in the net, you can miss long, you can miss left, and you can yeah. miss right. Well, it's not 25%, 25%, 25%, 25% when you look at the allocation and where the balls are actually going. The net is accounting for at least 50% of the misses that are occurring. So if you're looking for a great way to be more consistent on the court, and this is singles or doubles, Always have in your mind an air target height that you are trying to make the ball pass over the net. I ask my students often, I say, what percentage of the time, and I would love if the viewers even could, could write in the comments, what percentage of the time when you're rallying, hitting forehands or backhands, whatever, playing a match, what percentage of the time are you aiming to a very specific height over the net? Mm. The answer should be 100%. I mean, that's what percentage of the time is LeBron James when he shoots a basketball trying to get it in the hoop? Well, that's obviously 100. And then we obviously fall short of that because nobody's perfect. But you should, in your mind, have an idea of how high over the net you're trying to make the ball cross. See, there are two targets on a tennis court. There's an air target above the net, court target, and the speed you hit the ball, the spin you put on the ball, plus the height the ball crosses over the net equals where the ball lands. And that recipe, you need those three ingredients, speed, spin, and height over the net to, to get the court target. And if you, it's like making a chocolate cake. You, you forget any of those ingredients, you don't end up with a chocolate cake. And so what I started doing with students, let's say they had a technical error, right? And they just swung like a forehand like this. They just swung straight across and the ball just buried into the net. I stopped Airbon initially making a technical change. And I started asking them, hey, George, how high over the net were you aiming on that shot? Mm. I, I wasn't aiming to a specific height over the net. So if you're not making a specific dinner or a specific recipe, like how can you then want a, a specific result uh, to, to come in at the end? So I think having in your mind an air target is the easiest way to become more consistent. At the club where I coached for 25 years, I would take helium balloons. I would just go to the grocery store and I would get a helium balloon on a long string and I would tie the helium balloon to the net and it would float above the net. And I would have two students rally and try to hit the air target that hit the physical balloon that's floating three feet above the net, eight feet above the net. And people hear eight feet, like what? Isn't that too high? Well, isn't a lob going way up in the air? So get a really long string and have, you know, your juniors, if you're a coach, lob back and forth and, and understand that's how high, whatever, that you're trying to get the ball to go over the net. But consistency comes from hitting the net less and hitting the net less comes from having an air target. 
to give you one more idea here on how to vary the air target. As you move forward, aim lower. And as you move back, aim higher over the net. Now, of course, there are exceptions if your opponent's coming to the net or you're playing doubles. Of course, there are exceptions, but there are exceptions because there's a rule. So know the rule first, then you can learn all the exceptions. But air targets, they are the key. Start doing that 100% of the time. Be so specific with the exact height you're trying to make the ball go over the net, and you'll find out how consistent you can actually be on the court. Yeah, that's awesome, Ryan. Appreciate it. And do you also kind of vary the net height like as you move, like if you're hitting it to one extreme or the other or from, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So as if I go over here, let me actually put it on this side. If I go over here and I want to hit the ball cross court, well, that's um, 82 and a half feet. So the court is 78 feet long, but in singles diagonally, it's 82 and a half. So you have that extra distance so you can hit the ball even higher. If you're way off the court, then you can hit really high to give yourself time to get back into the court. But those are all the, you know, as, as you brilliant, brilliantly said, those are all the exceptions. And there are a lot of exceptions, but you have to start out with the idea that you always want to have a height over the net. Yeah, awesome, awesome, good stuff. So yeah, Linda says, great information, top notch. Awesome, thanks, Linda. Jay Look says, coach's eye. <laughs> and then we have Mr. Peter Freeman says, I want cake, coffee, and ice cream now. Jeez, what a glutton, just kidding. And then he says, what if Mirabon is playing VR tennis? How high should he aim? More inside jokes. <laughs> oh, sorry, Ryan. I almost, almost hit you. No, there. I have video of it. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I recorded oh, you. Man. Ready to blackmail me. Oh, my gosh. That's um, so funny. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Cool, cool. Well, we're getting more people in here, so that's great. In terms of single strategy, let's go with that first. What um, is one of your favorite tips for us with that? Involve your opponent when they come to the net. Okay. This completely changes the way people play singles. Mm -hmm. And it makes them not afraid of when their opponent comes forward. So we cannot keep our opponent from coming to the net. We just can't do it. So sometimes they hit an amazing shot. Sometimes they serve in volley. Sometimes we just hit short, right? We all hit short. So we hit short. The opponent is now coming in. I asked my students, what are the four shots you can hit when your opponent comes to the net? And they always say, down the line passing shot, cross court passing shot, and lob. They pick the three ways to avoid. And they go, wait, there's a fourth? Oh, I guess you could just hit it right at them even though ding, 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 <laughs> that's actually the winner. Like that's the one you want to do. So what you'll find in recreational tennis is that when you involve your opponent in the point, your chances of winning go up. When you avoid your opponent, when they come to the net, your chances of winning go down. Now you want to be smart with this. And it's why I mentioned air targets first. Because when your opponent comes to the net, you want to figure out how to involve them in the point with a ball below net level or a ball that's way up in the air. And in fact, we talked about the timer on video analysis, uh, Mirabon. Mm -hmm. 
I'm a big fan of trying to get lobs up in the air for two and a half seconds. So when I, mm. I do video analysis for people, they send me matches and we go through it and we do this stuff. It's super cool. And I'll look at, you know, Susan or, you know, Betty and, and they're playing doubles and they go for a lob and you can see when their lob is high enough that you could start a timer. Somebody mentioned coach's eye. You put the timer uh, on, you know, on the screen and you see how long the ball is in the air. If their lob is only in the air for one and a half seconds, it's too easy. It, it, yeah. It's not falling at a fast enough rate due to gravity. But if you can get that ball up in the air two and a half seconds, boy, the chances of them screwing up go way up. And forcing an error from your opponent is actually the number one way to win a point because it's repeatable. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, you're not waiting for your opponent just to miss or you're trying to just crack winners all day long. So when your opponent comes to the net in singles, either hit the ball low right to them. Most of the opponents that, who we play do not split step properly, nor do they split step at the right time. So yeah. we can really jam it at their feet or at their knees and get them just to screw up half the time. And then the other half of the time, they have to volley up, which is usually short. And then we can go for the passing shot. I call that the two-shot passing shot strategy. Hit it low to them. Let, they pop, let them pop up a weaker volley. Then you move inside the court. Then you go for the pass on the second shot. Or why not just lob the ball super high in the air and try to make the ball land just past the service line? You know, if we're, think about it, Maribon, let's say I'm, you and I play a match. I'm coming to the net and you lob a ball up in the air, two and a half seconds. And I'm sitting there going, oh, come on, Maribon. Like, why are you doing this to me? I don't want to deal with 9.8 meters per second per second as it's dropping due to gravity. I, like the ball's accelerating and it's going through the window of opportunity yeah. so fast. It's so tough. And then what ends up happening, Maribon, is they might not miss that overhead, but they're certainly not just cracking it because they're trying to time it. So they yeah. slow their racket speed down. When they slow the racket speed down, they don't pronate and they might even bend from the waist and good stuff happens because you force them into an error. So for players to, to play smarter singles, I would suggest that they involve their opponent when the opponent comes to the net, just involve them. If they're going to win the point, let them crack a perfect half volley into the corner because it's not repeatable rather than they come to the net and you try some wild passing shot and your, your <laughs> opponent, Mirbon, is snickering as they walk back going, oh my gosh, he doesn't even know. I, I, I took a lesson yesterday in my volleys because they're just not any good, but he's not making <laughs> me hit any volleys. You know, like how many times we go to the net, we're like, I didn't have to hit a volley. Force your opponent, right? Empathize with that. Say, wait, I don't like to volley, especially low volleys. I'm going to make them do what I don't, you know, the golden rule of tennis, Maribon, do unto others as you don't want them to do to you. That is the, <laughs> the golden rule of, of tennis. So involve your opponent at the net and you're going to win more singles, uh, singles matches. Yeah, I really love that. I mean, as we all know with, you know, Craig O'Shaughnessy's stats about like, I, I forget if it's 70 or 80%, you know, of, of all points and in airs. So, um, you know, why not, why not try to get that going instead of trying to go for the winner? Yeah, really love that. In terms of um, your lobs, um, do you want to like lob to their bat? Well, I guess they have enough time, you know, to to switch because your aim is to go to two and a half um, seconds. So I was going to ask you, like, should you lob to their backhand? But it may not make a difference because they'll probably like run around it, right? Well, I think absolutely you should because maybe they okay. don't run around it. Like we don't, yeah. we don't want to put our opponents on such a pedestal that they're invaluable like they're they can't make any mistakes and, and right. we're you know we're the ones who are always messing up but they're perfect you know what's funny is they're thinking the same thing about us so i would absolutely attempt to to go over their backhand side but there's a hierarchy 
no pun intended, of, of <laughs> what you want to try. See, Mirban, I think, I think issue to the definition of a lob. I think players struggle lobbing because they have the wrong definition of a lob. Because mm -hmm. they think the lob has to avoid the opponent and bounce behind them. I ask people all the time, what is the definition of a lob? And they'll say, a ball that goes over the opponent's head and lands behind them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a problem because if your opponent's here and you go for a lob, the only way to avoid them is to hit it out. That's why so many players hit their lobs mm -hmm. just as like, oh, why are all my lobs landing just a foot long, six inches long? Do you know why? It's because you're trying to avoid them. You win the same number of points, whether you hit a perfect shot or you force them into an error. And forcing them into an error is a heck of a lot easier. So don't think of a lob as a ball, as a ball that is avoiding the opponent. It is simply a high ball. That's it. So you got height and you got depth. What are you going to try for? To me, they're both important. A little more important. Right. Yeah. So I'd rather you, I'd much rather you hit super high and make the ball land, as I mentioned, just past the service line. And you will absolutely win a lot more of those points. Again, then you're, if you're just trying to crack a winner or you're trying to hit this perfect topspin lob that hits the back of the line. And in most leagues, you hit the back of the line. It was just... <laughs> it's so, out. <laughs> you know uh, I mean? man, so yeah, don't even give your opponents the opportunity to call your amazing lobs without Cody, without Hawkeye or without you know the, 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 the stuff that they have on, on TV for the lines. Um, don't even give them the opportunity to rob you from a, uh, of a point. Yeah, sadly, I, I know that from experience. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really a, a very cool mindset shift that you mentioned, because, yeah, I, I definitely I can see how a lot of players like when they think lob hit over their head. I admittedly, I think I mean, I I did that. I, I mean, yeah, it's I think when I'm like really scrambling on the defense and hitting a lob, I, I definitely don't think like hit over their head. But I think if I'm in like in a neutral or offensive position to hit a lob, I think I probably do think about that, doing that more often. Well, can and, I say, I think that yeah. was when you should go over their backhand side. If you're not okay. trying to go for a really high lob and you're just going to try to spin it a little more of an offensive lob, that's when you're really going to be thinking, okay, I'm going to go over the backhand, okay. right? Because they're not going to have the time to go around it and they have to hit a backhand overhead, which most yeah. players, their forehand overhead is better than their backhand overhead. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. And then should it be the same mindset still for the top spin lob as well, where you think like, you know, maybe involve them so that, you know, you're you're not gonna make an error, but obviously it'll be a tough overhead if it's a top spin lob still. Yeah, yeah. That's that idea okay. of hitting to their backhand, hitting up over their backhand side. It's, yeah. It, whether you're whether you're hitting a top spin lob, whether you're hitting a flat lob, I I'm a fan of just involving them. What's nice yeah. about the top spin is that it doesn't give them the time. Right. It doesn't give them the time because it's not going as high. That, that two and a half seconds is not on an offensive lob. That's on a defensive or just hit it up in the air and just let them screw up the overhead. But when you're going to hit more than, let's say it's a second volley, a third volley, now they're closer to the net, doubles and somebody's closed off the net and they're susceptible. Well, then, of course, getting a ball up high, the fact that they're close to the net just means the ball's going to land behind them. But speaking generally, you know, um, allowing your opponent to be a non-professional tennis player and allowing them to miss because of that, let's use the fact that we're not playing pro tennis players to our advantage and force them into that error. Yeah, yeah, and no, 100%. Um, got some comments here. Jay looks as 100. I think that's referring to um, how much of the time do you think about hitting it, you know, uh, the height of, of your shot, which is 
Very impressive. Hundred percent. Wow. <laughs> Uh, Craig, heavy topspin shot at them that will quickly dip on them. Very hard to counter the spin and put it back. Yeah. I mean, that's like a bread and butter for me, you know, when I'm playing doubles. Um, let's see, Craig again. Benefit of going to backhand side with lob is if they run around it, they're also pulling themselves away from center of court and opens up more space for your next shot to them. That's very observant. Very good point. And then Jay, look, short ball to drop their feet. Um, at their feet when they come to the net, get a chance to hit an overhead. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Um, yeah, I, Ryan, I think it might be a little too early for the people to ask questions, maybe. I don't know. In the AM, I mean. Um, but I'm oh, sure yeah, we'll get yeah, them yeah. soon. <laughs> we'll get yeah, there, yeah. no problem. Yeah, but yeah, this this is a really good one. Def, I think if you, yeah, if you just implement this alone, you're going to win a lot more points. So I love it. So we've done a singles tip, uh, Ryan. How about we shift over to maybe your your favorite doubles strategy tip? Sure. That's a great idea. Um, so I'm a fan of really simple strategies. And I think the simplest when it comes to doubles is to simply hit the ball to the opponent who is standing where you're standing. Hit the ball to the opponent who is standing where you're standing. Uh, let, let's go over this. Your job in the back is to prolong the point. Your job is to keep the point going. We know you, you mentioned Craig O'Shaughnessy. When you're playing doubles and you uh, end the point with your shot as a baseliner, you only win the point 25% of the time. It's mm -hmm. why when we crack a winner down the alley, it feels so good because it doesn't happen <laughs> more than it, you know, it, it happens less than it doesn't happen. So, it's it's why so it's a low percentage shot so when your job when you're in the back your job is to keep the point going and you do that by hitting it to the other team's back person so we say your job is to prolong the point you want to hit it to the other team's prolonger right the person who's prolonging the point for the other team well when you're at the net your job is to end the point uh when you're at the net and you end the point you win the point 65% of the time, 66% of the time. So when you're at the net, you end the point. Here's the issue with being at the net in doubles. We think a little bit like a singles player sometimes, mm. and we look for open court. Now in doubles, they've doubled the number of people on the court versus singles, but they have not doubled the size of the court. So there isn't as much open real estate. Right. So here is an incredible, incredibly simple way to think of it. When you're at the net and the ball comes to you, hit it hard at the feet of the opposing net player. What I typically see is players going to the middle. And it makes a lot of sense on a, on a board or, you know, it makes sense on paper. It makes sense on a strategy board. Oh, you just hit it through the middle. Well, this person's well aware of that. And when you watch doubles, and a ball is hit through the middle, what ends up happening is this player goes and gets it, they prolong the point, and you squander the opportunity to win yeah. the point. So what I would rather everyone watching do is when you're at the net, just aim for the feet. You're not trying to hurt anybody. You're just, I tell people, try to untie your opponent's shoes with your, with your shot. You want to aim for their feet, and the chances of winning go way up. Doubles is not a game of keep away. 
it's not a game of keep the ball away from your opponents. It's a goal. It's a, a game of hit to the correct opponent. Now, there are exceptions. Let's say you have a low volley. Let's say you serve in volley and you're coming forward and you have a low volley. That's an exception. You're at the net. You don't want to pop it up to the net person who has a strong shot. So there's one exception to that rule. The idea of hitting the ball to the opponent who's standing where you're standing, it's only going to be right 80% of the time. I mean, that's a lot, right? But you're only going to be right 80, 85, 90% of the time when it comes to your decision-making, if you were to do that all the time. So there, mm-hmm. there are caveats here and there are exceptions. But if you're at the net and you've got an overhead, the biggest mistake you can make is hitting it to the baseliner. Remember when we were kids and we were in gym class or physical education class in school and we would play dodgeball and you'd have the ball and you'd be throwing it at the kids and you try to knock them out of the game? You wouldn't pick the kid farthest from you. You would find who's closest to you and that's who you would throw the ball toward because they had less time to react. In my opinion, the number one double strategy mistake, it happens the most and it is the most detrimental to your ability to win. Overheads and high balls being hit to the back person. Because when I gave that example of throwing the dodgeball to the kid farthest from you, whenever I mention that to people, they always chuckle. They're like, why would I ever do that? That's what people do in doubles. They have overheads and they think open court because we're so focused on where's the open court. You don't want to hit open court in doubles. You either want to hit to the player with less time to react, you know, if you have an overhead, or you want to hit if you have a low ball to the person who can't hurt you, you know, with your shot. So hit the ball to the opponent who's standing where you're standing. Of course, there are exceptions, but they're, they're obvious exceptions and think times you'd want to break those rules. But this is a game changer. Most people know this from the back. Like we know not to just give it to the net player and let our partner get crushed. We know that. But at the net, we tend to still hit to this side and you're better off just hitting it to the, uh, to the feet of the person, hit it at the feet of the person who's closer to you because they have less time to react. Yeah, I really love that, um, Ryan. And so here's a question that I'll grab. I know it's later on, but it's pertinent to the current topic um, from Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer, what is your opinion on the etiquette of hitting at the net player's body, sometimes accidentally? Yeah, Jennifer, that's a great question. So it's all about not overhitting. If you hit 50% speed, your opponent should have no trouble with it, meaning um, no issue. They should have no issues with it, and it'll be a very nice handshake at the end of the match, and you'll walk away, friends. Um, You see pros hitting each other with their shots in doubles, uh, net player to net player, and somebody kind of gets tagged in the back. Intent is very obvious. And if you're just just a little pop of a volley or just a little pop of an overhead, just hitting it to their side of the court. Here's the thing. We don't always hit our targets. So when you aim for their feet, you're probably not going to hit. I mean, I don't know about you, Maribon, but I don't always hit my targets. So when I aim for people's shoes, I miss by like seven feet. So you're not going to actually hit them. Uh, And if you aim away, you might actually hit them. Um, Because again, we don't hit our targets, but as long as you're not crushing the ball, um, then that, then uh, to me, there's no issue with it. It's not, you got to be careful with the statement, but it's not your job to keep your opponent safe. When you have a high ball, they need to back up. Like 
you know what I mean? Distance equals time. Like you, 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 they need to give themselves more distance so that they can get more time to react to your ball. It's not your job to keep them safe, except you can take the ball and take a little speed off that ball and just aim for their feet. Um, the chances of winning go way up, hitting 50% at the net player's feet when you have a high ball, then 100% at the baseliner. Because then you're taking all the risk trying to time this high ball or overhead, and it's actually too risky. So that, Jennifer, that's a great question. And then, and a very obvious issue that can occur. So just make it obvious your intention is just to win the point and not to hurt them. Yeah, yeah. A little sorry at the end if you want. But yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, sorry about it. You okay? You good? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely makes makes the makes the yeah. makes that pill easier to swallow for them. It's really interesting, Ryan, because I had a live stream with uh with Ian yesterday. Uh and that was Probably one of the biggest, you know, questions as well, you know, because he had mentioned like hitting to the net player and whatnot when you have like a, you know, an easy volley, for example. But yeah, I think just people are kind of apprehensive about about that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but, you know, you got to do it. The pros do it all the time. Look, I mean, it's if if you don't like to do it, then don't do it. And mm. we're I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely not for me. I'm not making money playing tennis. Like that's not how I, I don't make money. No one wants to come watch me play tennis. So, so if you're saying, look, I would rather just not hit it at the feet of the net person. I'd rather just hit it to the back person and to make me feel better. Then absolutely do that. Um, the point will continue, but just know that and you'll say, Hey, that's fine. But if you, if you get the high ball, I, I tell people just aim for the feet and we all hit low volleys. Like when Sampras served and volleyed, Agassi's aiming for his feet. Like Agassi's trying to get him to hit a low volley, pop it up. Agassi's up on the baseline, taking it on the rise and trying to go for the pass on the second shot. So we've all hit low volleys, which means our opponent hit it low to us. So we can make them hit low volleys on purpose and, and win. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Jennifer said, Ian said no mercy. Yeah, he's a little more ruthless, actually. <laughs> A little more, just slightly. Nah, he's a nice guy. He's a, he is a great guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think when it comes to tennis, though, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, tennis, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, our friend Peter again, here again. Mirabon having bad memories of gym class right now. That's true. We played some yeah, dodgeball. Nope. I got tagged a few yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. It's rough times, rough times. Um, yeah, we have some other comments, but like I said, I'll, I'll definitely come back to them. So I guess one question for you, Ian, is... um. You know, obviously there are exceptions as you you mentioned. So, but this is a fantastic rule that's going to work um, vast majority of the time, of course. So, like, I guess if you're playing a, a a team where they like to poach a lot, how are you like kind of deviating? Yeah. So you've got uh, here. Let's oop, let's. Uh, oh, nice catch. Yeah, wow. you see that? <laughs> All right. <Yeah. laughs> Forty-four going on fourteen. I like it. All right. We're, yeah. <laughs> I still got my reaction time. All right. So Good. here's. Here's, this is you, and let's say this opponent is very aggressive cross-court. This can cause issues. A great question. This can cause issues for this player. Um, they may not feel super comfortable going down the line. Again, it can be a low percentage. Um, if they are someone who likes to poach a lot, I would, in between points, just whisper, and I, I'm a big fan of this. You've like, you got to talk in between points, right? But I would say, hey, I'm going to hit it down the singles line. When you're going to aim down the line, don't aim for the doubles line, aim for the singles line, give yourself margin. And you can say, Hey, watch out, maybe wait in the middle of the box. Or, I'm sorry, in the middle of no man's land, instead of on the line. And this person's heavy making this move and making this poach or making this pinch to try to 
uh, upset your return, just aim down the singles line. Another thing you can do is to lob. But remember the definition of a lob is not a ball that goes over someone's head. It's just a high ball. One of the reasons, going back to that idea, Mirabond, one of the reasons that is so important is we have to understand that a cross-court lob is a great strategy. Your opponent cannot grow. They can't get taller. They can run left and right. So what ends up happening is you get this person, let's say this is you, Mirabond, and you're returning, mm. and this person's just causing all problems, and you're trying to avoid them, and what always happens? We end up hitting it wide because we're trying to yeah. avoid them. Well, when I say, and for the, for the uh, players watching, when I say, hey, try a lob to avoid the person, we immediately think down the line. Mm. We immediately think, oh, the lob has to go down the line. Why? Because a lob has to go over someone's head. But we know that's not true. Right. A ball doesn't. You ever seen two 12-year-olds playing in the finals of a tournament? And you're like, wow, we're going we're gonna to be looking for everything. <laughs> like, this match is going to last seven hours. Because they're yeah. just lobbing back and forth from back at the fence. You know, lobbing back and forth. So I would recommend lobbing cross-court. You have all of that extra distance. And it doesn't have to be a perfect lob that goes over this player's head. Then your partner gets crushed because net players aim for net players. Or it goes just long because they're running back and they're, you know, doing a scissor kick overhead. You're like, man, I can't, I can't lob. Yes, you can. You can lob cross court. That's why the correct definition of a lob is so vital. So lob cross court. Now, then you say, yeah, but Ryan, what if this team serves in volleys? And then the lob is a high ball. Well, look, you're just playing a really good team. So if you can't beat them, join them. Then you should start serving and volleying. You should start, you know, causing havoc or wreaking havoc and, and um, doing a lot of poaching. But there isn't a ton of serve and volley in the world of recreational doubles. And so even if you have a very aggressive net person here, if you just lob cross court, this player is going to be back. It completely freezes this person because they're watching the ball go way up in the air and there's no way they can get that ball. So that's what I would recommend. Let your partner know that you're going to try down the line on the singles line just to kind of keep them thinking. But also, don't be afraid of a lob going cross court. And when you're successful with that, move in. Now you got two against one because no matter where they hit, you both pick on this person. Mm -hmm. So it's the two of you uh, picking on that person. So, Yeah, love that. Thanks, Ryan. So I think yeah. uh, I can go to like all questions now, just generally, if you don't mind for a bit. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> awesome. So let's see. Born Jason, how do you teach juniors to hit a dipper that lands at the net player's feet? Mm -hmm. Hey, Jason, good to see you. Yeah, so it's, a, it's similar to what I do to teach drop shots. So I teach people to hit drop shots that land on their own side. Drop volleys, drop shots, because people tend to put too much air and too much distance. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of just extremes. So I'll have people practice just... I mean, there's, there's a real skill to it, by the way. Yeah. Hitting a drop shot that lands on your own side that does not even cross the net. So I would recommend teaching juniors who obviously, if, if you're saying dipper, that means they understand RPM and they can get enough RPM on that ball with racket speed to actually dip. So once they can spin the ball, spin the heck out of the ball, get them to, look, I want you to hit the ball up off your racket, but try to get it to hit the net. And their brain's going to explode. Like, wait, how do I swing fast, get the ball to go up off my racket, hit the net? You know what they'll do, Mirabai? <laughs> they'll hit a perfect shot right at the feet. 
because mm. they're going to be so extreme with the spin allocation. So your racket speed is allocated into ball spin and ball speed. And it goes like this, right? And so as you hit more spin, the ball travels slower and vice versa. So when you are swinging really fast and leading with the edge, let me grab my racket. You know, tennis is an edge sport. You want to lead with the edge of the racket toward the ball. If my racket had googly eyes, you know those googly eyes? You know, you can like yeah, yeah. Stick I love those. stickers. If, yeah. my, if my strings had googly eyes, <laughs> the googly eyes shouldn't see the ball. Like your racket should have no clue you're about to hit a ball. That's the feeling. I tell people, hit Australia with your racket. Like hit, hit the South Pole. Like be way down <laughs> here. Like that's the feeling that you're going to hit the, the edge of the racket. And then they end up not hitting the string or not hitting the frame. And then they spin the heck out of it. But if you can get them to try to hit the ball up off the racket and make it hit the net as a drill, they'll think it's hilarious. Wait, you want me to hit the net? But what actually happens is they hit the perfect shot that barely goes over the net and you've just taught them a skill. The goal of a coach, Jason, isn't always to be right. The goal is to be helpful. And, and so if you, have a, if you have an uncle who's always late to birthday parties, you tell him, oh, the, the party's at two. And you're like, everyone else come at three. We just know, <laughs> you know Uncle John's always an hour late. Like your goal is to tell people what they need to hear in order for them to have the desired result. Sometimes if you tell them the right thing to do, they can't do it. So you go to one end of the spectrum to try to get them away from where they used to be. So I would tell them, spin the ball and try to make the ball land in your own side of the net make it go up off your racket and make it land on your own side of the net and watch how the ball actually dips right at their feet. Oh, such a good drill. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, let's see here. I've got, uh, Jay, look, are moon balls classified as lobs? What do you think? Absolutely. It's a high ball. Yeah. It goes to the moon. Alice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's going way up in the air. That's a lob. Yeah. So, yeah. so moon balls, are what we call lobs that don't go over someone's head. So if you have two people moonballing, they're, it's, but I think it's erroneous to actually separate them. Um, uh, it's just a lob. We think again, a lob is a ball that goes over someone's head. But if you have two people standing 10 feet behind the baseline, moonballing, we don't call it lobbing, we call it moonballing, but it is lobbing. Cause I think we have the wrong definition of a lob. It's just a high ball, it's a moonball. So yes, moonballs are lobs. Yeah. So in the twelves, I <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was a lobber as as twelves, and it worked pretty well. I have to say, it does pretty well. It's it very frustrating because because you avoided the net. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You had, air, you had an air target. Yeah, yeah I remember. Uh, sorry, Ryan. Yeah, I remember mm -hmm. one of the kids uh, I played who actually very, turned out to be a very high level junior, but he he screamed. He's like, "This isn't tennis." <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so yeah, funny. It's the truth. Uh, it's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. We did this one. Um, thank you, though. Mm -hmm. Jane, hello. How are you? Okay. The trick shotters. Cool um, picture there. Where is it best to serve in doubles? I used to think to go wide on the ad and deuce court. Yeah, great question. Great question. So, yeah. so where you serve very much sets up where the return is going to go. So if you play baseball or you understand baseball, you know there's a spray chart where the ball tends to be hit. So right-handed batters tend to hit the ball to left field. Left-handed batters tend to hit the ball to right field. There's an X that is drawn. Um, several years ago, I actually stopped, and it was really from Gigi uh, Fernandez. Mm -hmm. I, I really started kind of flipping what I used to teach. And so now I'm just telling people, look, serve to the inside ground stroke and hold. 
and that ball will be pulled right to you. Mm. If you serve to the outside ground stroke, this person, um, uh, the trick shotters, uh, they're talking about serving out wide, especially if this is their backhand, that's the perfect time to poach because the ball coming to your backhand, it's not easy to push it down the line. Like it's a weird angle. And especially if the ball's coming here, it kind of wants to come back this way. So if you, if you have somebody who keeps poaching and they're very aggressive, let's say you're, uh, this is your partner. And it, let's say it's a round robin at your club on a Saturday night and you got someone who just keeps poaching over and over and over again. And they're super aggressive getting up here and pinching to the middle. You don't want to serve down the tee because they're going to move like this. And that ball naturally wants to go this way. You're actually setting them up to fail. Um, so inside ground strokes, which are ground strokes toward the inside of the court, tend to be hit, the ball, hit to the net player. Outside ground strokes, balls that go out wide, tend to be hit cross court. So yeah. that's why it's so important that you are talking with your partner and discussing. I mean, you see the pros, they do signals. You can just get together for one second and let's say you're serving and just say, I'm going to serve out wide. And that's it. You just say, I'm going to serve out wide. Well, if your partner is attempting to serve out wide, when you see, remember, you're watching this player, when you see them turn out wide, especially if it's their backhand side, you know that 90% of the time that ball is going cross court. So you can just make this little move and you'll be in the way of it. This, the other side is true. It's a little harder if you're playing a right-hander and you serve out wide because if it's a right-hander out wide, then on the do side, then the down the line is a little more of an option. Mm -hmm. um, but if you serve to their backhand, if you serve to the inside ground stroke, I mean, that ball's getting pulled to this player all the time. Just if any of you play doubles and you play on the do side, you know it's not the easiest thing in the world to hit a backhand cross court. Yeah. It feels better to pull it down the line. So realize there are consequences to where you serve. And if you serve to one side or the other, we might not realize happening, but we do, Marban, decide where we're going to hit the ball based on if we're hitting on this side of our body or this side of our body. We, we have a ball here. We think, I'm going that way. If we get a backhand, we're like, I'm going that way. Where if we would have just been standing in the same place, but hitting on the other wing, we would have cho uh, chosen a different target. And yeah. again, that, that's from Gigi. And when I heard that from Gigi, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, gotta I, I used to teach just follow the ball. Like if it's, if it's down the T, you go like this. And it, it never occurred mm -hmm. to me. So a few years back, I was like, I'm scrapping that. I am not teaching that anymore. Because what Gigi is saying, you know, I think she has some experience in it. What she's saying made total sense. And I just flipped what I started teaching. And it has made all the difference in my students. And I love that about you, Ryan. Always, you know, trying to improve. And, and you know, when you learn something that's different from what you're teaching, you know, and it makes sense, you know, you keep at it. You Sorry, you change instead of like just <laughs> sticking with, you know, for ego and stuff, which happens. Mm -hmm. So everyone... Uh, we need to move on to the next uh, couple and then I'll come back to questions, but just an aside that Ryan does do a lot of Instagram live. So you should definitely follow him on Instagram and then you can, uh, I think ask questions when he does lives there, but we'll, we'll try to get some more questions. than if we can't, so Ryan, how about a, let, let's do a technique tip, maybe ground strokes. Let's say, um, what, what do you have for us? 
Mirban, on the forehand, I want people, and again, this is why you have to film yourself. I want people to wave to the opponent with their non-hitting hand as they're striking the ball. So on your forehand, and we see video after video, I make a ton of videos on YouTube about this topic, but we see video after video about rotating the hips. And we think of it as, well, the, the body turns and that's what pulls the racket. And if you're loose enough, that's when the butt cap's going to point at the ball and you get some lag and pre-stretch in the forearm. But there's, but there's another piece of advice that you greatly benefit from, which actually unlocks the ability to turn the hips. If you look at different levels of play, you can see, Merban, a correlation between the height of their non-hitting hand at contact and the level of that player. The higher the level of the player, the higher their non-hitting hand. Like any rule, there are always exceptions. Hmm. The lower the non-hitting hand is as they're striking the ball, the lower the level of the player. If you went to Vegas and you just started betting on that, you would walk away with an entire casino because you, you're going <laughs> to be a billionaire. Because when you are hitting a forehand, if we just think about like basic technique, best to take the racket back if you can help it with both hands, right? Whether you just kind of turn and give two high fives or you truly take the racket back with both hands, it's good to take the racket back as a unit turn. But we really want to be careful about what we do with this non-hitting hand. After you take the racket back with both hands or it just goes with it, as the racket drops, the non-hitting hand should clear out of the way, almost like you're pushing someone out of the way who's you know, impeding your view of seeing over the court or over the net. So when you hit a tennis ball, we want to, as the racket drops, start clearing this hand and at contact, look like you are waving. So when you film yourself hitting a tennis ball, Stop again. That's tip number one. Film yourself. Stop the video at contact and look at the height of your non hitting hand. I'm willing to bet if you are struggling rotating your hips, then you are most likely keeping your non hitting hand down. There are players, especially beginners and some intermediates, who look like they're hugging themselves as they're hitting the ball. They look like they're in a straight jacket as they're hitting. That player is hugging themselves which creates a zero net force. Your arms go in this way, this arm's going this way, your hips have no idea who to listen to and you can't turn your hips. So if we can move this non-hitting hand out of the way, it clears a path for the hips to turn, which brings the arm through, which points the buck cap at the ball, which allows for rack acceleration. So turn with both hands and then wave to the opponent. Um, you look at Leighton Hewitt. Leighton Hewitt is one of the best examples. Look at a Leighton Hewitt forehand and stop the racket at contact. And you'll see, <laughs> there it is. You'll see the non-hitting hand waving to the opponent. When he's striking the ball, his non-hitting hand looks like he's waving to the opponent. You can see uh, Novak Djokovic doing the same thing. Novak, when he's hitting the ball, waving to the opponent. I will put a hula hoop over people's arm or under people's arms just to keep it up so that they can't drop it. You want to turn with both hands in the forehand, but then wave to the opponent. Now, after that, I teach catching just as a way to make sure that you waved. But if you wave and the ball's already gone and you drop this arm, I mean, 
it's okay because the ball's already gone, but I would just teach you to catch uh, kind of that Sampras style or Serena Williams style. They were pretty good at tennis um, where you're catching the racket. Dominic team does that when he's practicing, but look at your non hitting hand at contact and the quality of your forehand will really correlate with the height of your non hitting hand. The better players, non hitting hand is high. The uh, newer players to the game, have their non there it is there's Novak Djokovic <laughs> looking like he is waving to the opponent at contact it is the it is this little thing you ever you ever um like like bought a car or something and all of a sudden you start noticing that car you're like oh i didn't realize how many volvos there were on there like you start yeah. noticing that car more cuz you're keyed in on looking for it they're always showing slow motion during matches you know like after the point is over or whatever they'll as they're going to a commercial break they'll show a slow motion shot or just go on youtube Watch how the players look like they're waving to the opponent with their non-hitting hand at contact. It is the catalyst that actually clears the path to allow the hips to actually turn. So it's super, super important. And you can learn it in an instant and it instantly makes your forehand better because you can turn your hips. Yeah, <clears throat> such a good tip. And uh, I was joking with, uh, with Ryan yesterday, just think about Leighton Highwit. <laughs> <laughs> so bad sorry <laughs> so bad oh boy i apologize everyone. <laughs> that's right that's right that's right ryan awesome tip there love that and when i, I when i looked at a um a picture of myself in college actually that people were making fun of i actually was waving so i was very happy to see that um but yeah we we definitely should move on maybe to your sixth tip and uh yeah let's let's do like one more technique tip maybe got it well you know we're always going to save it best for last. So please go out and practice hitting serves with a physical birthday hat. So I came up with this in 2014. I was teaching a bunch of eight-year-olds. And it was a, I still remember, it was a Thursday class, four o'clock Thursday class. And they were all doing the classic, you know, waiter's tray. And I was having them put cones on their head, you know, like hold a physical, you know, whatever, like, a, a cone smaller than this, but it, like they would cone on their head and they would try to hit it. Um, just standing there demonstrating like they're saluting. And I told them, I said, look, unicorns cannot serve correctly. In fact, if I write a book, that's going to be the title. <laughs> unicorns cannot serve correctly. Nice. Uh, and they all laughed. And I said, no, but it's true because unicorns, their racket would hit their horn. And I drove home that day thinking, man, I, I, I take a responsibility for it and saying, okay, what can I put on their heads? And I stopped at the local store and picked up birthday hats. I said, oh my gosh, this is it. And that's where it all started. And the birthday hat forces, if you, you can't imagine it, you have to actually wear a physical birthday hat. The birthday hat moves the racket from front to back. Or what you'll hear from like OTI, right? They'll t uh, online tennis instructor. They'll talk about you know, right to left, this movement. We're trying to stay away from the waiter's tray. And having a waiter's tray means you cannot move the racket like a lasso, which is a circular movement. There's 360 degrees of movement that we want on a serve. The serve is circular. It's not put it down your back like it's in a backpack and then go up to the ball. We have to create round movements to create acceleration that's why on ramps for an interstate are circular like they don't get a stop sign that you're like watching cars go by and you're like stopping at a stop sign you got to turn 90 degrees to get <laughs> on an interstate like it's round it allows you to keep your speed so what's nice about the birthday hat is 
a physical birthday hat is if you go into the waiter's tray, you will never hit the birthday hat. So go out to the local store, put a birthday hat on and don't feel embarrassed. I have put myself out on YouTube in front of many people wearing birthday hats for years uh, and just teach yourself to with the strings pointing down and you can put a ball in the throat of the racket. Just teach yourself to knock the birthday hat off of your head. My favorite player of all time, Pete Sampras, did not hit the birthday hat. You look at Shapovalov, he does not hit the birthday hat. And that's okay because they're not going into a waiter's tray. Their racket comes around, their strings are actually slightly closed at this point, and then incredible pronation. So their serve is not wrong for hitting a birthday hat. But if you've got a waiter's tray serve, you can't rationalize it and say, well, I'm just like Pete Sampras because I don't hit the birthday hat either. Either It doesn't work that way. Wear a physical birthday hat and hit the birthday hat with your racket. Even if you get within a couple inches of it and you're trying to hit the hat, it's going to teach you more of a circular swing a fit, you know, rather than just dropping the racket down. Mirban, I've had people uh, reach out to me and they say, hey, Ryan, I tried your birthday hat tip and it just did not work for me. And I'll say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Hey, I got a quick question for you. Uh, what color is your birthday hat? And they'll say, <laughs> bottom. And they go, I didn't actually wear one. <laughs> oh. I, it's, it's how I sniff it out. It's how I sniff it out every time. <laughs> People say it didn't work. And then the, I ask them what color their birthday hat is. And they say, I didn't actually wear one. Not and right. I say, look, there's a reason I don't say imagine. Like wear a physical birthday yeah, hat and put it on your head. And if you can get within a couple inches of it, like Milos Raonic, like he would go over his head, but it would be a little higher or an adult. Like yeah. not every pro hits the birthday hat, but JJ Wolf does, Roger Federer does, Naomi Osaka does, Nick Kyrgios, Sam Groth, the fastest. Look at Sam Groth serve, fastest server of all time. He comes within an inch. Like he doesn't hit the tip of the birthday hat. He hits the base of the birthday hat. Mm. It's incredible. 163 miles an hour. And he is obliterate. He would break the string. You know, like everything, <laughs> he'd go broke buying birthday hats because 163 miles an hour that every one of those birthday hats breaks. But that's the idea is learn to even shadow swing at home. If you're embarrassed to do it outside, that's fine. Get some birthday hats and just shadow swing at home and learn how to lift the racket up with your strings down. You can place a ball in the throat, move the racket in over the head. If um, here's another way of thinking, here's a handheld mirror. If you have a handheld mirror, just point the mirror at the ground. And then look at yourself in the mirror as you move the racket. Like, don't sh reflect the ceiling or the sun. Keep the mirror pointing down. But Ooh. you can't serve and play a match with a, with a mirror. You can actually wear a physical birthday hat and hit serve. That's why I think it's one of the best tips you can have on a serve. Because most serve drills are do the drill and then hope it positively affects your serve when you go up to the line and serve you know, tossing and having the ball land on your racket in the ground or, you know, posing in the trophy, like whatever the drill is, serving over a fence to, serve, to learn a kick serve, whatever it is. It's always do the drill and then hope it improves the serve. Here, you can actually do a serve, a physical serve, and do the drill and you get instant feedback as whether you came in over your head, drawing 360 degrees or went into the waiter's tray. Yeah, it's, so I'm telling you, I mean... I have done this uh, drill with the, the birthday hat and it, no joke has added a significant amount of power because I, I did actually have a bit of a 
like wrist um break you know to, so to speak mm-hmm. and and that took it away and um powerful drill everybody uh i wish we could do all your questions but you know we do have time constraints unfortunately but i definitely highly encourage you to check out two minute tennis on youtube um as well as uh go to ryan's instagram uh page or any pages but instagram i know he does lives and answers questions and stuff oh yeah sir can can you do 10 more minutes oh yeah i can if you can is that okay yeah let's okay. Do that. oh great yeah. Course, oh, awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Let's knock this quick one out. I think the answer is cl- clear for us. So do you get a deeper racket drop if you're doing a birthday head movement? Great question. Okay. So to me, the racket drop, so the answer to that question is absolutely. Yeah. The racket drop, Susanna, I think, Susanna, yeah, is yeah. created by two things. One, the elbow driving up and leg drive. So the elbow driving up is what drops the racket. I gave a lesson to a guy in London to, to no, yesterday on Zoom. He sends me videos of his serve, and I put him side by side. He, he can see himself on the screen, and I'm putting him side by side with uh, Felix Auger Aliassim uh, and Roger Federer, and it's really cool. See, and Marban, you were even talking about that wrist break, like that wrist extension where the, the mirror faces the sky, we all do that a little too much, you know, and we're all trying to get better at that. What's so common and what I see all the time are players shoving the racket down to try to make the racket drop. The racket drop comes from the elbow going up. So when you, again, film yourself hitting serves, film yourself from the back. So I'm serving against that wall. What you want to see is your elbow go the opposite direction compared to your racket. So look at the tip of my racket and now look at my elbow and watch how my elbow is going to come up to here as my racket goes down behind me. So my elbow is going up as the racket's going down. Now, you don't get the same racket drop in a shadow swing that you actually do when you're you know, exploding up with your legs and you've got speed and your arm is elastic and it stretches back. The birthday hat absolutely allows for a racket drop, but the birthday hat doesn't actually have anything to do with the racket drop. What I would say is people who go into the waiter's tray have less of a racket drop because they use wrist extension to try to drop the racket. And in that position, then they push the ball almost like they're doing shot put in the Olympics and they're just pushing the ball. We want to drive the elbow up. So the racket passes in over the head and then you drive the elbow up and the elbow driving up is how you get that circular motion uh, that I talked about that 360 degrees. So Kyrgios has a racket drop and JJ Wolf has a racket drop and Naomi Osaka has a racket drop and Sam Groff um, and John Isner, they would all hit the birthday hat. So if you're hitting the birthday hat, but you don't have a racket drop, it has nothing to do actually with the birthday hat. Pay attention to the elbow. You want your elbow on the serve to get higher than your hand. And there's no better example than Felix Auger-Aliassime. You watch him in slow motion and his elbow higher than his hand. He's so elbow dominant in the motion where most players, if you look at their hand versus their elbow, their hand stays above their elbow. They drive up to the ball with their hand. 
where what we want is birthday hat and the elbow makes this move. You want to elbow someone behind you. Vic Braden came up with that 50 years ago. Elbow someone behind you, which allows for palm down. You want to knock the birthday hat off and drive the elbow up and you will have a beautiful racket drop that it'll drop down to the bottom of your shirt rather than only going to shoulder level if you just go into the waiter's tray. Yeah, it's just it's so powerful again. <laughs> um, so let's see, Jason, don't be like TFO and hit a 100 mile per hour in the Federer at the net. Yeah, <laughs> that was a sad one. Um, but, you know, I got to do what you got to do, I guess. But yeah, bad. Um, Gabriella, in your opinion, what is the efficiency of the I formation and Australian formation? Yeah. So let, let's talk about that. Um, again, it's all about where you want that ball to go. There, there's a group of, of women who I, I taught last year, and they actually won the 4-0 national championship out of Northern California. And I was giving the team Zoom lessons. And the I formation was something actually that we talked about. And so let's say this is you. And uh, I'm not a team who necessarily likes the squat. I'm not a coach who necessarily likes the squatting. I think the squatting, especially for older players, it's not easy to get down like this and you see them serve over the head. Like, I'm not a huge fan of that. I, don't, I know that my knees are not going to get me, you know, exploding up very fast. Um, but what I'm a fan of is this. If you're going to get in this position, I tell people, you know, whether you're going to straddle the line, whether you're going to be slightly over, maybe put your right foot on the line. What I like to tell people is serve to the outside. Because the ball wants to go cross court, they're going to get the ball. And then you can take it right at this person who has no time to react. So what people do is they'll get in this position and then they'll serve to the inside ground stroke. And the ball just gets pulled over here. And then you're like, oh, I can't get it. And then you're scrambling. Use the fact that there's a spray chart in baseball. We can predict where the ball is going to go. In fact, talking about baseball, pitchers can actually you know, pitch inside or outside to try to coax the batter into hitting to a particular side for the strategy of baseball. It's the same thing. If you want to use this strategy, let's say um, this person has an amazing cross-court backhand return, or maybe they're lefty and that's their forehand. You're like, man, that is so difficult to deal with. Put this person in the middle of it, put this person here, and then serve to that ball. And then if they try for that, boom, you get them here. And then at least they're just going down the line. The moment you serve, you come over, um, you would hit down the line because when you're in a situation where it's one up one back versus one up one back, but the net players are on the same side, these net players should basically straddle the center service lines and try to poach while there's a down the line singles rally. You're, both of these players are trying to poach this ball, trying to get it. Um, but I'm a big fan of, of offsetting and making a different strategy. But I would tell you, it's really important that you understand the consequences of serving to the inside ground stroke because yeah. it's going to be hit away from you and it's going to make you as the server have to pull way off the court and it's just not in your best interest. Serve slightly to the outside. That'll force them to actually hit it right to your net person. Uh, just the way our arms work, it'll be pulled right to here and then you go right to, right to that person's feet. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. So let's try yeah, to sneak one more in and uh, go to someone who hasn't asked a question yet. So Perry, nice student tie there. Uh, when you commit to poaching a serve return, do you hit the ball on the run or do you need to plan on a pause, perhaps just before opponent makes contact to make a quality volley? Oh, no, you'll be hitting on the move. You know, absolutely. You'll be hitting on the move. So you don't want to you don't want to move to the volley. You want to move through the volley. 
So the volley is like a finish line. Usain Bolt doesn't stop on the finish line because you have to slow down before you get there to do that. So you want to move through a volley. So what I, what I tell people is if you're going to do a poach, right, and you like put signals behind your back, first off, remember, serve out wide because that's, that means the ball is more likely to be hit cross court. When you serve to this person's out wide sh shot, they're thinking, pull it cross court. It's just the way our arms work. Our arms are a radius that like wants to go around our body. And so the ball wants to get pulled this way. So you're coaxing them and fooling them into just hitting it right to the poacher. That's why you don't want to hit this way. Because as a returner on the ad side, you get a forehand, you might want to go down the line and you're running away from that ball. So serve to the outside. What I tell people is the moment the ball lands and, and you know, the ball lands and you see that they're going to be hitting a backhand. Once that ball lands, you can just start to move. And as soon as the serve uh, goes, then you can start making that move as well. The oppo your opponents aren't as aware of what's happening as we think. And we don't have to put them on a pedestal. So people say, yeah, but if I serve to Gary, as soon as I serve, if I start running, oh, he knows what I'm doing. Well, who cares if he knows what you're doing? If you serve it to the outside and this guy, your partner has got the cross court and you've got the down the line, everything's covered. But at least you're making them think about what you're doing and they can take their focus off of the ball. Um, so as soon as the ball lands, just move. And if the ball is hit cross court and you've got a hit on the move, you hit on the move. Think about it when you're, uh, Perry, think about it when you're in a, your car. When you slam on the brakes, the front end goes forward and down. Right? So everything goes down and collapses. So if you're running and then you pause just before you hit the volley or as you hit the volley, we bend from the waist and we go over, we go forward and down and we dump the ball in the net. So when we're running through a volley, it's like having your car on cruise control. Everything is smooth and is balanced and your, your spouse might fall asleep because you're on cruise control. But if you're just like, brake, brake, acceleration, like everyone's like, whoa, what is going on? That actually happens with your, you know, that nobody can sleep in the car because you're just hitting the brakes constantly in the gas. That keeps everything off balance. Moving doesn't mean off balance. It's the changing of the speed, whether slower or faster, that, you know, acceleration and braking that actually makes us off balance. So I would split, right? You see the ball is bouncing and you just go. And by the way, when you poach, don't think, oh, it's going to be on the side. When you poach, keep your racket in front because you might have to hit a, a volley on the side actually where you were leaving in case they tried to hit behind you or they did hit behind you. So stay in the ready position as you poach across. Uh, and when you poach, you just move forward at an angle, get slightly closer to cut off you know, a, a perpendicular, in a perpendicular path, the direction the ball is going, it'll be the shorter distance to that ball. Um, and then move through the volley, move through the volley and you'll be on balance. It's when you try to stop when you volley that you actually fall off balance. Awesome, Ryan. Th uh, this was amazing. I, I really appreciate it. I'm just going to go real quick. Number one, film yourself playing. Number two, use air targets. Number three, involve your opponent. Number four, hit the ball to the opponent who is standing where you're standing. Number five, Wave to your opponent. That's technique, obviously. <laughs> and number six, hit the birthday hat on your serve. So, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, look forward to next time. And everybody, again, check out Ryan's YouTube channel, Instagram. A uh, lot of great questions. Uh, I, I'm sorry we can't get through them. But, you know, go on the Instagrams for Ryan. Ask them there. And, uh, yeah, well, we'll see you next time.